Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. You'll hear from the experts who know how to digitize and renew business models for better results in manufacturing businesses. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. As I always say, this is where the best run, and we just know it's true. Let's see what the buzz is today. Oh, I have some breaking news for the employment field out there. Yes, this is Industry 4.0, but let me let me play this out. Sawyer the robot will work for the equivalent of four U.S. dollars per day. He's never in a bad mood. Can you compete with that? Okay, there is an industrial robot created by the Boston-based Rethink Robot Robotics. Sawyer is the brainchild of a gentleman named Rodney Brooks, the inventor of Roomba. Everybody's yep. heard of that, the robotic yep. vacuum. And PacBot. This was a serious robot used to clear bunkers in Iraq and Afghanistan and after 9-11 at the World Trade Center. I got that from Newsweek.com. So let's talk about Industry 4.0. That's our subject here. No matter how far Industry 4.0 goes with automation, manufacturers will always need humans to fill roles that cannot be automated. That's got to be good news for all of you real people who are listening if you're not a robot. Why, why are humans needed? Well, they need to complete complex tasks and they need to make intuitive decisions. That part of our brain and our heart is still of value to the world. The key for manufacturers is to know which is which, what tasks can be automated completely and which still need human intervention or human brilliance, I'm going to say. What is the goal? Well, the goal is to augment humans with Industry 4.0. We don't want to replace people. We want to augment them. Is it possible? Yes. When we think of automation, we think of artificial intelligence, fondly known as AI, because it doesn't take the person out of the process. It's supposed to take the robot out of the person. You don't want to do those menial little repetitive blah, 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 blah. You want to do the stuff that actually uses your mind and uses your brain. So, for example, connected devices guide operators of machinery with working instructions in virtual reality or 3D overlays and warn the employees, these are the human employees, when environmental conditions become unsafe for people to work. That is important. As the degree of automation increases, so do the complexities of the decisions. I have two guests today. They have so much to say. We only need two. We have W. David Stevenson. He said that we can make the W silent. So it's David Stevenson. He's been on Game Changers Radio with me. Last time was about six years ago. So this is a welcome back, David. And he's at Stevenson Strategies, his namesake company. And Richard Howells at SAP. Richard is one of the sponsors, the sponsor of this series. And we're going to talk about Industry 4.0, augmenting humans. There's that wonderful word, humans, to empower productivity and decision-making. Welcome to our audience around the world. Welcome, David, and welcome, Richard. So, David, you're up first. Would you please take about three minutes, introduce yourself to our audience? There might be five people in the world who don't know who you are. I know you're very well known. <laughs> and while you're introducing yourself, <clears throat> please also tell us what's your passion for this topic in terms of keeping people working but using the brain power that that dna we have to make things work better david welcome right thanks so much bonnie it's great to be back with you after uh, low these many years and uh, i i'm president of my own firm stevenson strategies we uh, consult on iot strategy and and uh, transformation and i first got into this field about uh, 12 years ago 
through my work with uh, the whole open data movement of sharing data rather than hoarding, which was a big paradigm shift that we're still not really all that uh, um, uh, at ease with. And um, I have my passion for this. I, my work now has to do a lot with um, uh, how it affects basically every aspect of our lives. And I really do believe that the IoT really is transformational because it does empower us and it gets rid of a, an incredible degree of um, ignorance that we had once, for example, a uh, product left the factory door. We had no real objective idea of how it was being used or misused out in the field. And now, with sensors and real-time data going back to the factory, we can actually get that data. And I think a terribly important thing about this that we'll talk about more in terms of empowering individual workers with it is sharing that data. Sharing is really essential. It's one thing if you have data that is pigeonholed in one um, data silo or another within the company, it's totally different when you're able to share that with people from a wide variety of different responsibilities and disciplines and skill sets. Then you get real, uh, actually, sort of magic that comes out of it. So it's, I think, a very, very exciting time uh, in the whole field of the IoT at this point. Thank you, David. Very interesting perspective, human magic. If you were to try to recruit people to factory manufacturing jobs and say you can bring your magic as a human with a brain, with your training, with your background, we'll, we'll additionally train you and robots don't have what we have. Come and do your magic in our our manufacturing process. Richard Howells, you're, I'm, I'm on Zoom. I have the privilege of seeing my panelists. And Richard is in some kind of a, I don't know what, it's Blue Moon. He'll explain what that is. He has a virtual background, which is fascinating. But Richard, please introduce yourself. You're one of the wonderful sponsors, the main sponsor of this show. And we appreciate it because Industry 4.0 needs to be talked about a lot. So Richard, in case there is 1.2 people are 1.2 people around the world who don't remember who you are, go ahead and tell us. And comment also on what David said about the magic of that human mind, we hope. Go ahead, Richard. Welcome. Absolutely. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, David. Thanks for, uh, thanks for hosting this show. And I've been putting it off for several episodes for being on it myself. So I finally uh, put the, uh, bit the bullet and joined the show. My name is Richard Howells. I am responsible for marketing and thought leadership of our of the SAP digital supply chain and industry 4.0 solutions i've been working in this space uh forever uh since i since i left college and uh, i actually have a degree in computer science so uh ah. so software has always been in my background and i i've been working in it so long that the first course i took in high school we didn't even have a computer so uh that's how old i am um, but I've been working in this space for 30, 30 years and always uh, in manufacturing. So uh, solving business problems for manufacturers. And I've seen more technology and more innovation come into the manufacturing space and the supply chain in general over that time. Yeah. But every time it's a, it's a case of um, identifying the, the, 
not the, just the technologies to use. We, we don't use technologies for technology's sake. And this is really my passion for the, for the space is you always have to start with a business problem. What problem you're trying to solve, what information you need, what format do you need it, and then work out which technologies can help you get that, uh, solve that problem, get that information, and address the challenges. So it really is a marriage of technology and humans and business processes that really can, can improve the workforce and the workspace. Thank you, Richard. What do you think about headlines that say we're all going to be replaced by robots, especially in manufacturing where it's assembly line types of things and it's super automation and repetitive tasks, uh, pencil pushing, perhaps automated pencil pushing. Do you, do you think these are fear mongering, Richard? Or, and, and how do we tell people that humans will always have jobs in every sector? What do you think, Richard? Um, automation will replace some of the tasks. Yep. Um, but it will provide new opportunities to to change the roles of, of, of us in the workforce and improve our productivity and improve our, our uh, ability to make this more, more difficult decisions. I think automation, I, I, I was listening to one of the shows a few weeks ago and somebody said to replace the mind-numbingly boring, repetitive tasks. Yep. You don't want to be sitting there screwing on a widget for eight hours a day, uh, five days a week, uh, when you could get that done automatically, probably quicker and probably perfectly every time and taking out the human error of that. But you do want to be able to uh, analyze how many widgets have been screwed on, how, how, uh, how the quality of that product is, is working and has been produced. So it really is leveraging the data, automating the mundane Mm-hmm. And and at leveraging the human brain, the human intellect, the human know-how to really uh, drive business processes and improve business performance. So it's allowing us to be smarter and use our minds better. Oh, my goodness. What a thought. David, you're <laughs> nodding. We'll get to the quotes in a minute. But, David, I know you want to say something. Go ahead. Well, this reminds me of one of my favorite anecdotes about um, – Uh, manufacturing, and it comes from the 1980s, an article I read in the Christian Science Monitor about uh, an elegant new car design. And um, the engineers were given carte blanche, and they came up with an amazing design, went into production, and then (laughs) the first buyer of the uh, car went to have uh, a something called an oil change done. You know, okay. Usually the most simple, um, straightforward, easy thing to do. And so the mechanic slides under the car and almost immediately slides back out and says, um, got a little problem here. Um, I know I said that it was going to be $20 for this oil change. It's going to be a couple hundred dollars and you're going to have to leave the car for a while because the, the designers working in a vacuum without input from the mechanics who would actually have to service it in the field had placed the drain for the oil pan right over a structural member. And so they had to, instead of just unplugging that thing, they had to actually drop the entire engine and it became a major operation. So there is uh, no substitute 
for that human component and knowledge of real world issues. Very interesting. Yes, that, that was quite, quite a good example. All kinds of things come to mind. Yeah. Uh, I know that there are often the <laughs> reputation in mechanics is they'll find a way to turn that $20 estimate into a couple hundred, no matter who you are. <laughs> we, we, we won't go there. That's, that's a very human. And they do have analytics now in garages, right? They, they put a, yeah. a computer oh, on. Very interesting. I had a friend who was in what, what seemed to be a minor car accident where a woman ran a stop sign at 30 miles an hour and almost T-boned the car, but hit the front of the car. So he was fine. And it looked like just damage to the hood and the, the front fender. And that looked about it. And, and the estimate was there and everything was ready to go. And the car would be restored in two days. And then they put the analytical analytics on the car. Richard, guess what? The car was totaled. Every one of the six computer systems under that part of the car had been destroyed by this 30 mile an hour impact. This was mm. a, an 18 month old car. Wow. And so it's been two weeks of yeah. hell trying to pay off the, the lease on that and get a new car. Mm. But anyway, sometimes, yes, yeah, sometimes uh, the, the human estimate needs to be have the addition of the automation of, right, Richard, the data, the analytics, and then you can make a better decision. So anyway, Absolutely. we're not going to talk about cars today because yeah. we have a show called The Future of Mobility and Manufacturing. And we'll, I'll save that story for there. So this is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to send me quotes that have absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And they're going to explain in their own words how they think it relates to the topic. So David has sent us a wonderful quote. We love movie and song quotes. They just make us smile. And they teach us about what you think is important in, in our culture. So David has sent a quote from A Bug's Life. Let me give a little background. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, the quote is from the character, character Flick, a protagonist of Disney Pixar's 1998 film, A Bug's Life. A Bug's Life is a 1998 American computer animated comedy film produced by Pixar Studios for Walt Disney Pictures. It involves a misfit ant, Flick, F-L-I-K, I like that, who's looking for tough warriors to save his colony from hungry grasshoppers, only to recruit a group of insects that turn out to be an inept circus troupe. Boy, that sounds interesting. The film stars the voices of David Foley, Kevin Spacey, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Hayden Pantier, among others. And for those of you who love history, uh, in, in a way, literary history, it's inspired by Aesop's fable, The Ant and the Grasshopper. Here is the quote. I'm not going to attempt to do the voice, David, because I haven't seen the movie, but I think it's on my list now. You're wrong, Hopper. Ants are not meant to serve grasshoppers. I've seen these ants do great things. David, bail me out here. What in the world is the scene, and what does this mean to our topic? Go ahead, David. Well, the um, this is my friend Flick, incidentally. He's, um, David is showing in, showing the little the doll the Flick doll from the movie. Great inspiration to me. Go ahead. Um, uh, Flick is uh, part of this colony that uh, every year has to uh, pay. Uh, uh, tangible tribute to the grasshoppers and they have to uh, share the majority of their food. And finally, the whole thing comes to a head and Flick is just every man. He's uh, nothing, you know, a particular leader or anything, but he just, the role falls to him to stand up to the, uh, the grasshoppers. And uh, yeah, I, the reason why I, I chose that is that I have a, an enduring belief 
in the wisdom of people, accumulated wisdom of people, for example, who have spent years on an assembly line. And uh, they are often in the past, because of the obvious focus of uh, corporate programmers on the major business procedures and things of that sort, the, what actually filters down to the assembly line people has been very little. And the problem with that is that there are still decisions that have to be made on that assembly line level, and they are, have been acting on the basis of historic data and, and very limited data. It goes back to this whole thing I said before about our inability to gather data from the field and uh, to have to then rely on anecdotal information. So now when you uh, give them real-time access to real-time data, they are able to make informed decisions that combine the uh, insights from the data about deviations from norms and things of that sort with their accumulated wisdom from actually having been there on the assembly line for years. And it's a very exciting new uh, aspect of programming and something that uh, requires a whole different set of skills that we can talk about in a little bit. Thank you, David. Richard, very interesting quote from David. And I'm going to go to your quote now. Richard sent us a quote from Alec Ross, born in 1971, still very much alive and well, an American technology policy expert. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Industries of the Future. How appropriate. Industries of the Future has been translated into a mere 15 languages and was named the 2016 Book of the Year by the Tribeca Film Festival's Disruptive Innovation Foundation. You know something, Richard? We need a radio series called Disruptive Innovation. I think that'd be, that's what I want you to sponsor for 2021. (laughs) You're, You're coming back with a different title. We'll get a new banner for that. So here is the quote Richard has selected from the lore of Alec Ross. The robots of the cartoons and movies from the 1970s are going to be the reality of the 2020s. Well, there's a prediction for you. Go ahead, Richard. How'd you find this one? I, I, was, <laughs> I was just thinking about uh, the shows I used to watch growing up because you said think about TV shows. or, or, yep. or, or uh, And I, I grew up watching the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Yes. And it felt like I grew up in the time period of the Flintstones. And I'm now living in the time period of the Jetsons, because if you think of all of the the example, there are so many examples on TV shows and and films of futuristic films at the time, or or cartoons in this case, kids cartoons. I mean, Rosie the robot was one of the big characters in the Jetsons, the Home Help, and I think you you talked about Sawyer the robot earlier. Yes, Rosie the robot was Sawyer the robot in cartoon form 50 years ago. They had 3D printers there at the time. We now have 3D printers in manufacturing sites, in, um, in stores to finish products and, 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 and customize to order. Uh, they, they had 3D images and holograms, and we have that today. We ha- they had smart watches. I'm wearing a smart watch at the moment. It's probably smarter than I am. It's certainly smarter than <laughs> the first computer that I had. Yeah. 
they have drones flying around yes. or, and smart clothes with sensors on them to give them information. So all of this ha has become a reality in the 2020s and beyond. I, the first time I came to America, I went to Disney Studios at Disney in Florida and I went to Epcot and I went through onto Spaceship Earth and the and Future World. And I was amazed. This was 30, year, 30 plus years ago. And I was amazed at the fact that they had people talking to their 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 friends and their families through their TV. Yep. We're now talking to each other through our TVs at, or our computer screens at the moment. Right. And it, it blew me away. I used to be I used to send letters and phone my parents once a week when I moved to America. Yep. I, 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 I now speak to my family every day free of charge via the Internet. So technology, we are talking about disruptive techno technologies and innovations. Industry 4.0 is an example of that. And we're seeing it at, in the homes. We're seeing it throughout business and we're seeing it um, everywhere and in every walk of life. So I, I think um, we should be watching the TV shows of today to work at what's going to be happening in 30 and 40 years' time. Interesting. Yeah. I want, thank you. I want to pose a, a question. Something came to mind when you were, were talking about uh, how we grew up with, with the Flintstones and when we're now living in the age of the Jetsons. Very, very well put culture. Uh, so my question is, we all know the phrase, necessity is the mother of invention. Okay, and I know there have been permutations and jokes about that. But today, I'm thinking that curiosity is the perhaps, because necessity, we pretty much have what we need. Curiosity is the, the, uh, the food for the kinds of innovation we're seeing. What can we do with what we have? How can we take it further? Richard, I'm going to ask you to comment on that first, and then David, and then we'll, we'll go to your discussion statements. But do you think curiosity is the driver now for what can we do with what we, what we have? How far can Absolutely. we take it? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, the, the, uh, I think it was the tale of the ancient mariners. They said, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Yep. <clears throat> and we have data, data everywhere. And we don't know what to do with the information. And I think curiosity is is really answering that question. How can I leverage this information to better my life, better other people's lives, better my business, better be, improve my my working processes? So th there's no limit. That we we've surely got as much data as we need. And I'm sure there'll be ways of getting more data. Mm -hmm. It's how to leverage that data and put it into the business context, or improve my home life, or improve the the way that my house runs. How do I get to a net zero house, for example, by leveraging information and leveraging technology to be a more sustainable uh, human being and have a more sustainable planet? All of this is our opportunity. We can solve a lot of the big problems through curiosity and through leveraging information that may already be available. Thank you. I, you know, it's not a requirement when I pose a question to my panelists on these shows that you agree with me, but thank you for agreeing with me. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to tell you both about a, an interesting show I've been watching on Netflix about, about curiosity in the computer world. David, what do you think? Is curiosity, well, it didn't kill the cat, it's making the cat, uh, give, giving the cat a motorized spaceship to go visit the Jetsons. I don't know. What do you think, David? Well, it's interesting. It's a combination of that innate curiosity mm -hmm. and then technology that enables it. And for example, um, I, I think of back to the, uh, I think it was the 80s when VisiCalc was first created. And up until then, 
when companies had done um, spreadsheets, it was uh, so arduous to change the content of any of the cells that um, you would do it and you know breathe a sigh of relief. With VisiCalc, you could do what ifs. So you could change one variable and see how that would play out in your profit and loss, for example. Well, I think the analogy to that today would be the 3D printer that Richard mentioned. Mm -hmm. And we have the technology to facilitate that curiosity now. It becomes incredibly easy to do a low-cost um, prototype that you can then tweak and do a variety of, uh, of innovations with. So it's, um, uh, uh, I, th I think it is a great era for harnessing curiosity and, uh, and, and to apply it specifically to our topic at hand today with workers. Uh, one of the things that I'm not sure how much this is really being done but the technology is definitely there right now. Um, imagine if you would a um, plane flying from O'Hare to uh, Logan near Richard and me in Boston. And one of the 5,000 sensors on one of the engines detects an anomaly and, and particularly something really serious like metal fatigue it isolates exactly where that is. And then it becomes entirely possible that by the time that plane lands in Boston, this is something that, that there's no visible evidence at this point. It is just in the earliest phases. So um, there would be no way that a visual inspection would, would ever show it, but it can, you know, that can literally kill people if the, if the, the plate part disintegrates. By the time it lands in Boston, the mechanic can have that replacement part right there next to him or her. And they also don't have to do the dangerous startup of the engine as part of the repair process because they already know exactly where in the engine it is. So it really streamlines everything. And um, it's not too uh, um, remote a, a possibility to think that in the near future, that part, replacement part, will not have come from a warehouse. It will come mm -hmm. from that 3D printer that is right by the mechanic. And what was sent was the digital plans for that part. And it's actually manufactured right there in the hangar. Pretty cool. That's exciting. Richard, talk. And bring that, bringing that full circle about empowering people, the the person, the maintenance crew can be told in advance that that's the problem. They can be told how to fix it. They can have visualization of how to fix it. Yep. They could see, they could in, potentially be using augmented reality to test that fix and, and perform that fix in it virtually before the plane right. arrives so that they are fully prepared with everything that they need, all of the information they need, all of the equipment they need and all of the parts they need to quickly turn around that aeroplane uh, when it lands as well. So it, yeah. it really is. And again, that's around reimagining business processes. It's yeah. around really thinking through how can I, how can I find that information? How can I 
do a predictive maintenance scenario and how can I empower the users to be able to form that, perform that at the best of their ability and as quickly yeah. as possible. Absolutely. And that, that's exciting. And that's the very, that's the humans and the machines working together intelligently. We've been hearing stories for, for a past few years on several of my Game Changer shows. I think it started, the story started on the future of cars with Game Changers, which is now the future of mobility and manufacturing. Uh, we started hearing stories about how one day you will be driving on a highway and you will, the car will know through its sensors that there is a belt that's about to disintegrate or to fall off or to explode. And the car will alert the driver, uh, Mr. Howells, in 3.4 miles, you will pull off at exit 23A and Bob's service station is waiting for you. You have an appointment. They know the belt you're safe now, but don't drive past exit 23A, Mr. House. The belt that is about to disintegrate under the hood of your car is going to be replaced. The mechanics have the part. Here's what it will cost you. It will go on your Amex or your Amazon Visa, and yeah. they will be ready. You will be able to go on your way after a 29.3-minute auto mechanic visit and you'll be back on the road and we will give you instructions about how to continue to your destination. Richard, do you remember those stories? They were just stories, but are they true now? They are absolutely true now. I mean, I drive a 25-year-old pickup truck. It has three sensors on it. I can tell how fast I'm going, how much petrol I have, and if the temperature is too hot. I have wind-up windows so that the kids get in my truck and they don't know how to open the windows. But absolutely, I mean, I... And we're, we're, we're even, we can go one step further. I mean, Tesla are sending automatic updates overnight uh, to, 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 to fix known problem, a, a known problem in all of the vehicles rather than do a recall and bring them into the, uh, into the mechanics. They, right. I mean, technology is so far advanced in some vehicles that you can, you can fix things without, <laughs> right. without getting anybody involved. It can be a computer upgrade. Yep, but we want to we want to keep those people working. You know what, <laughs> gentlemen? Good conversation. I want to go to our discussion statements because you both put so much time and effort into preparing statements to to guide our conversation, and we're already having a wonderful conversation just a- with anecdotes and with insights. David, I'm going to jump all the way down to your statement number four because we've already talked about we need objective data. We've already talked about it needs to be in the hands of the people on the shop floor, real and virtual. So I'm going to jump down to statement number four, and you say, we won't take full advantage of the Internet of Things without management reform. Unless information silos are broken down, the data will remain isolated. Why don't you tell us a little bit more, unpack that, and we'll see if Richard agrees. David, you're up. Sure. Um, Bonnie, the last chapter of the uh, book I did on IoT strategy uh, two years ago um, uh, the future is now. Uh, um, smart. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, was um, about what I call the circular corporation. And for the longest time, since the birth of the Industrial Revolution, it was so hard to get data that it made perfect sense that senior management were the people to get it. And um, and and as we now know, that data itself was actually pretty suspect. And so it was up to them to decide who gets access to that data. And by the, you know, it's like the old telephone um, parlor game, you know, by the time the original message gets to the last player, it's totally uh, changed. 
So it really was a very limited uh, basis. And so I think what, and we've had that, as with that example I gave of the car where the design team was working in isolation from the maintenance team. They had no idea that this was going to be an issue. So what we have to do is that management has got to let go of controls um, of the flow of data mm -hmm. and allow it to go automatically to the people who are going to need it the most. And uh, one, one actually example that I love in this regard is that in the past, it made absolutely no sense for your design team to be talking to the, the field maintenance people um, because, again, you had no, nothing really linking them. And so now, with the whole concept of predictive maintenance that Richard just mentioned and uh, this flow of data about how things are really working, those two teams can collaborate. That's the critical thing is the collaboration between them and the humans with their particular expertise gained from years of, of work. And you get a Hegelian dialectic here to get a little philosophical with somebody saying from the maintenance people uh, team saying one thing about the problem the design people saying, well, yeah, but on the other hand, you got, uh, you know, this, this other factor that you guys haven't thought about. And then what you get is a lot more back and forth and you eventually get a synthesis that hopefully is the best of both sides. And I think that's terribly important and something we couldn't do. So at any rate, to summarize on the issue of the management reform, management has to uh, take a deep breath and let go. <laughs> There you go. Let, let Good luck on that. <laughs> give, give them roots and give them wings, right? And let them fly. Richard, right. agree or disagree on, on that comment? Richard? Well, the, the, the irony of um, the management having to pass, let the information go, is that they don't even start with the information. The information starts, if you talk about a supply chain, at every step in that supply chain. It's at the ant level, if we go back to the... Uh, mm -hmm the analogy it's really at the at the shop floor at the logistics processes uh, at the retail stores at the manufacturing facilities at the suppliers where all of the data is captured because you're capturing data at that granular level of detail and the reality is that everybody within the business everybody within your network of partners and suppliers and contract manufacturers and logistics service providers need data to do the job better, to better serve that end customer. So it's it's having all of that data and then putting it into the business context yeah. and into the granularity that is needed to do a specific role. I may be working on the plant floor. I need information about that specific production line or production cell at a detailed second-by-second -second basis. David may be my manager managing the, the, the plant and he needs information at a higher level, but it's based off the same information. And Bonnie, you may be the uh, COO who has visibility over all manufacturing and all supply chain, and you need a visibility at, the, at another level of granularity. So it's leveraging accurate real-time data, but in the right business context, in the right format, and on the right level of granularity to do your job better, regardless of what your job is. Yeah. So it's not 
letting go of the information. It's it's leveraging that information everywhere, and at and in different formats, different styles, and on different and and available in my hand on my mobile th- on my smartphone or smartwatch even. Sorry, yeah. I think David was going to comment. Go ahead, David, please. Yeah, um, one thing, uh, bringing it back specifically to Richard's work, that that COVID has really brought home with a vengeance is um, how lack of data on uh, the supply chain can really mess things up terribly. And mm-hmm. specifically, I, I did a column for Industry Week about six months ago about the incredible lack of data in supply chains, specifically dealing with shipping on the ocean. A lot of that is still, no kidding, paper and pencil. Mm. And um, there's some really neat new apps that are attempting to deal with that. But when, (laughs) when you have no idea where a ship is, amongst other things, it makes it more vulnerable to piracy. Still happens. Big problem. And um, also, when you have to make changes because of, um, you know, a port being closed down because of a COVID outbreak or whatever, um, that data does have to get down there on a very granular level. And we've got still have huge voids. Thank you. Good good comments all around. Richard, I'm going to move to your statement number five. Uh, this oh. is interesting. You say, as consumers, we are now accustomed to the as-a-service model where we pay for a monthly service. And we all, many of us are, are married to Netflix or Apple Music and, and iTunes, and we know. Uh, and we see those bills come trickling in. Uh, I've been using the uh, all-access pass to a certain major network TV station for years because of one show, and that show now only has seven episodes a year, and I'm paying six bucks a month to this station that I never go on until they drop their next eight episodes. Do you know what it costs me per episode? Don't even go there. Anyway, you say, by leveraging data generated by digitization and Industry 4.0, we're seeing more and more business examples of as-a-service models. Richard, love to know a little more about this please okay so i mean you're exactly right i've i can't remember the last time that i bought a cd or i bought a a dvd i stream everything now so that's an example in everyday life of as a service i we're also seeing um with covid that more and more people are buying subscriptions i mean we're totally reliant on some of the ones that you mentioned now for entertainment and uh and and everything else but we're seeing people joining shopper of the month clubs and things like that to mm-hmm. get a monthly delivery of the the 12 best beers that are from around the world for example mm-hmm. and you're just buying a subs- you're getting a subscription and you're getting what what they deliver but as yeah. we but we're, so we're seeing that at home today and we're seeing it more and more in the business world as well um if for example you could uh get a piece of equipment um, such as a, a compressor or a drill and pay based on usage rather than pay for it once and it may just sit on the shelf for three months and not, mm-hmm. not get used, then uh, you as a, as, a, as a business would be paying appropriately based on consumption. 
And it's also so I mean, it works well as well for the, the manufacturer of the equipment because they then have a, a model where they are constantly engaged with their customers. It's not a one time deal. And maybe they'll buy another one in 10 years time when they need to replace it. But it's an ongoing monthly interaction yeah. uh, and transaction with that consumer. But the, the challenge is, or the opportunity is, that you need information to be able to do that. You have to be able to, dis and this goes to back to David's point of sharing information across the supply chain, across the business. You have to have the data to be able to know if it's based on hours of usage, uh, tracking that information. If it's based on throughput of uh, uh, meters of, of air pumped through the compressor. You have to be able to capture that information, which means you need to design the products that you're making to capture that information. And if you're doing it from a main, from a from a uh, business perspective, you need to make sure that that piece of equipment can be running at all times. So you need to have sensors in that equipment. Back to the plane example that David used earlier yes. of how that piece of equipment is performing. So that you can sense if it's going to break down, predict if it's going to break down, and then um, send somebody out to maintain it or repair it before it breaks down. Because if that product breaks down and you're only getting paid based on usage, everyone's lost or everyone's unhappy. You have poor customer service because they can't use that piece of yes. equipment. You're unhappy and your bosses are unhappy because they're not generating any revenue out of that piece of equipment. So, so it's a lose-lose situation, and it's going to cost more to fix it when it breaks down it's a, with, with a major problem than repair it when you sense a minor issue that could turn into a major problem. So it really is changing the business model all the way through from how you design the products that you're going to offer as a service through how you uh, track and maintain it throughout its life cycle and the business model of how you interact with your customers. Um, which gives you an opportunity to be more engaged with your customers at all times. Yeah. It means that the customer service is really moving to the, the maintenance team, for example. The service team is the customer service team because they're the face of you to your customers Right. At, at, at whenever something happens. Richard, I'm going to name this the oops prevention or the we're sorry prevention team yeah right <laughs> customer service it's we don't we don't have to say we're sorry anymore wouldn't yeah, it be no. wonderful if you went bought something from a company and they say we'd like to give you the you'll never going to need our customer service phone line our hotline because we'll never have to say oops we're sorry that's right wouldn't I, that be great i yeah i, I like yes. david you like that Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Now, I want to move to, we have about uh, 12 minutes left, a good conversation so far, going great. I want to move to a statement from David here. This is interesting. You, this is your statement number six. You say, the Internet of Things can unleash collaboration and creativity within companies that was impossible before by giving a variety of departments simultaneous access to real-time data and encourage them, here's the magic word, to collaborate on capitalizing on the data. I think we've been talking around this. We talked about not having siloed information access, but yeah. I love the idea of the collaboration, the creativity. So, David, why don't you take us through that a little bit, and then we'll see what Richard has to say. Go ahead, David. Sure. And I, I think that's an area where we the the human and the technological really do come together 
And what I was talking about earlier about the what ifs, that it costs so little to think about new iterations and, and variations on something because of these abilities to now to simulate what it would actually be like. And the more, I think up to a point, you know, you can, you can uh, overdo it, but up to a point, if you have different departments with their different perspectives and their different expertise, looking at that same data set, that's the important thing, that it has to be the same data set and applying their own insights to it and then coming together to collaborate on new things. It's, um, it's going to be, a, I think, a challenge for management in that regard to create the setting and the willingness on the part of people who have worked in isolation in the past to instead be working together. But I think it, it really can unleash an incredible degree of creativity because just due to human nature that you have people who love this, love that, Suddenly, they're talking together. And, I, you know, it's funny. I go back to a, um, uh, a philosophy class I had at Haverford College years and years ago where <laughs> there was one kid who, oh, my God, I think if you would stop the discussion, we were all at a round table, all equals, and he would come up with stuff that was, frankly, just weird. But when he would say something, it would provoke something in each of us that we wouldn't have thought of if we all had the, the same mindset. So he actually really had a valuable role in that dialectic. And it's, uh, it almost verges on the mystical, I think, not to get a little woo-woo about <laughs> management issues. But, <laughs> David, uh, he was a disruptor. Yeah, exactly. Right? Stop with yeah. the status quo. Think We used to call it just thinking outside the box. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, stop Couldn't saying yes to everything. And, and you know, they used yep. to shut people up who did that. Be quiet, yep. Bob. Go back to your desk. Everything's yep. working fine. There's no squeaky wheel here. The company is on target to do this and this and that and that. And our numbers look good. And let's not upset the apple cart, remember? Yeah. But Richard, the difference is exactly. now you've got a shared set yeah. of data yes. that everybody can refer back to. You know, well, that's a pretty cool idea, but you know, remember what the numbers say. So that's right. And then you have interpretation, of course, yes. we data and statistics. Exactly. There's a subjective view of yeah. what what the data means, where it came from, how fresh it is, <laughs> uh, data yeah. at the right place at the right time, and the right person looking at it. Richard, I know you want to say something. And even if you don't, I want you to say something. Yeah. <laughs> Richard, go ahead. <laughs> talking about you, you you mentioned that he, he always said something really weird and then you say richard you want to say something <laughs> okay so um I, I wrote down a few comments as david was talking actually and and you talked about uh getting teams to work together within an organization absolutely and how to make that work is shared incentives shared kpis because it's people tend to follow what they're measured by if they're not encouraged to do that or incented to do that then why do it um i think how to get all of the, that information together i know david you talk a lot in in your writing around digital twins 
Are yes. the digital twins of the of the supply chain, of the equipment in the supply chain, of the products that flow through the supply chain? And having that digital twin enables everyone to capture real first of all capture real time information and then share that real time information because everyone's working off the same off the same data. <clears throat> and I would expand your comment around working across departments to working across companies as well. I mean, when we talk about supply chains, nobody does it alone. There right. isn't just one company that has that man, that has all of the raw materials, makes all the products, ships all the goods, and sells it to to their end customer. It's always a team approach from within an organization, but also across depart across companies, and it's having that collaboration, both internally and externally, and having that data accessible to everyone internally and externally that's the real key to to drive better business processes thank you david good conversation so david you want to comment go ahead i, I do you richard hand. you know what that reminded me of was um one of my favorite examples from sap which is the um, management system for the part port of hamburg and that one gets down to the point where i i, I think this is so cool um, in addition to all of the macro things, it's what, one of the five or six biggest ports yep. in the world and, you know, all the incredible stuff. There is um, so, that data, some of it is accessible to a coffee shop where the, um, uh, the truckers, if they are going to be stuck for a certain amount of time because a drawbridge is up, they get on their phone, a discount coupon for the next, you know, 10 or 15 minutes that um, they can use because the coffee shop knows that they're they're captive at that point. I just love that. I think that's so cool. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a service, op it's an opportunity for the coffee shop and it's a, it's a, a providing a service to the, to the driver who's just going to yeah. be sitting there anyway. Yeah. But you know what you just both said, this requires somebody to think outside the box, to be creative, to be curious. What if we were to be able to, and to have the coffee shop talking to the, the public works department and the drawbridge operator, there has to be a sensor that says drawbridge will be up for 25 minutes instead of three minutes and, yeah. and has to say, oh, we know that our, our uh, truckers will be in the parking lot or in their seats in this coffee shop. And maybe we know that half of the truckers ah like apple pie. So we'll give them a coupon for a free slice of apple pie and they can add ice cream for only 22 cents. We're having a sale on pile on mode. Think about how creative you could go oh, yeah. and think what those truckers will say when they get back on the road to think of the, do they still use CBs? I don't know. Uh, trucker one, trucker or, or um, Bobby one. No, Bobby they're one. on phones now. Just That's Smokey and the Bandit you're talking Sm about. Right. Trucker one, trucker one just had the most amazing piece of apple pie with 22 cents a la mode at, at Mary's Diner at the, at the, the Bond Street drawbridge uh, who cares if we were 25 minutes late? I don't have to stop for lunch now. I mean, can you imagine if uh, Richard, go ahead. I'm that brings excited. it back to everybody needing working off the same information. Yes. But for a bit different business context, a different role context. The yeah. the logistics people have to now replan their deliveries at the at the where at the port to reschedule things based on everyone being delayed by 15 minutes. The truck driver has to know to go and park somewhere else. The people working in the 
retail store or coffee shop needs need to make sure that they know that there's going to be extra demand coming in in the next 20 minutes so they've got to put another big pot of coffee on that's right because that's right you know there's going to be all of those truck drivers coming in here with their 10 percent discount coupon so everyone is empowered to use to to do their job better by leveraging the data of yeah. that one bit of information of the bridge is going to be up for 15 minutes longer than we thought yeah and they have to call granny at granny's pies down the road because she's <laughs> got a right. truck over she's got to ride over on her bicycle yeah, but <laughs> don't go on the route where the bridge is you've got to take a different route she's got to be you on the correct side waiting. Of, right. correct side <laughs> of the bridge you're absolutely right granny one and granny two uh, yes I'm that's maybe right you choose your supplier based on the, their availability i don't mean to be chauvinistic about it. it could be grandpa one and grandpa two whoever is on the right <laughs> side of the driver's <laughs> Bring that apple pie now. We have another 20 customers. Gentlemen, we have a three minutes left till the end of the show, and I want to make sure we do the crystal ball predictions from each of you. So, um, David, why don't you go first? And, David, if you, I know this is going to be tough, but can you keep it to 60 seconds because that's all we have? Go ahead. David, predict what's the future of augmenting productivity and using our brains in the environment of Industry 4.0? David Stephenson. Yeah, I think. I think, um, Bonnie, that it's going to be, a, there's a new class of apps referred to as no-code, low-code ones that are largely drag and drop and um, a little bit below the kind of stuff that SAP, for example, concentrates with system-wide things that allow people with no programming experience on the assembly line or other places like that to create their own focused apps for their specific needs. And I think that's where it's going to really take off. Thank you. Oh, he did it. Richard, David gave a 60-second prediction. I'm in shock. Thank you, David. You're very sweet. Richard, I've got 60 seconds for you. Go beat, beat, French. Fast, fast. Okay, so two things. So because the cost of sensors are so low, and we're developing smarter yeah. and smarter products and assets, everything will be connected. Everything will be smart. So there'll be no excuses. We'll have all of the information we need. Yeah. It's, it's it's down to your or our uh, imagination and thought pro and, and, and intellect to come up with how we leverage that data to better run our businesses, better run our homes. And the second one is I see a huge opportunity for specifically college students coming out as I have two kids coming out of college for the role of a data scientist moving forward who understands the business context and the data and can put those two together to help companies run better and make better decisions. There you go. Thank you both very much. I have so much enjoyed this conversation. David, it's wonderful to reconnect with you first time here on Zoom. And Richard, this is a terrific series. Richard, you have two more episodes left in this in this season. So uh, I'll make sure those dates are in the calendar and we'll just keep this going. And I want you to definitely renew or extend your series because these conversations are important. And I so wish I I'd been on one earlier. It's been a lot of fun. I'm I'm so glad. Now here, well, you're on the prep calls. That's why I forgot you hadn't been on the show. You got you got to come back on the next two. Please, honey. I have to say that the reason, incidentally, for Richard's um, virtual background there is that's a bagel shop in Medfield, Mass, that he and I love to go to, and uh, we've had many a great discussion there. So had to get a plug in. For we that. solved the world's problems there. I'll meet you for. The, I'll meet you at the blue moon, both of you. Okay, so <laughs> let me do my shout outs here. Our engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller. It's very early for him. He's. 
three hours behind us. So it's six in the morning. And Aaron, thank you for paying attention and getting us on the air. And thank you so much to Diane Pickett. Richard works on your team. Diane does a wonderful job of helping to support these shows. And Richard, again, thank you and kudos for sponsoring the series. Very, very important in our lineup this year. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. I don't think we have sensors in the seatbelt yet. And I don't want one yet. What are you waiting for? By the way, my car is now getting two months to the gallon. I hope you're doing well on fuel efficiency. (laughs) Go out and be a game changer today, just like W Silent W David Stephenson and Stephenson Strategies and Richard Howells at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Be safe, be smart, be savvy, and if appropriate, wear your mask. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Industry 4.0 in the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.